All right, let's open up the book of Psalms. We'll start off in Psalms and then we'll park over in the book of Acts. So if you want to go ahead and turn to two places, you can go to the book of Acts and then Psalm 37. Acts chapter 12. Psalm 37, we'll read a couple of verses that kind of sets the tone for the message and then we'll be in the book of Acts. Psalm 37. A couple verses here, then we'll be in the book of Acts. Psalm 37, if you'll come down to verse number 23, just a couple of verses here. Psalm 37, look in verse number 23. The steps of a good man are ordered by the Lord, and he delighteth in his way. Though he fall, he shall not be utterly cast down, for the Lord upholdeth him with his hand. And you go ahead and flip over to the book of Acts. I'll tell you what I'm going to preach on. I'm going to preach on John Mark this morning. You say, who's John Mark? Well, The second book in the New Testament is called the Gospel of Mark, and he's called John Mark, and I want to preach on him tonight, or this morning, and the idea behind that is similar to Psalm 37, because Mark was not always what you would think Mark would be. Mark was somebody who fell, and Mark was somebody who quit, and he got out, and he was able to get back in. So I want to preach this morning on the hope of restoration And hopefully we can get some help this morning. Let's go ahead and open in a word of prayer. Brother Jeff Kennedy, can you pray for us, please? Amen. Thank you so much. Now here in Acts chapter number 12, we're going to be first introduced to Mark. Let me just say this kind of to preface the message here. Some Christians are not really, uh, they really don't see themselves as doing all that bad. In other words, some Christians are not even struggling or it doesn't bother them. I guess this is how I should say it. It doesn't bother them that they're not where they're supposed to be in their walk with God. They're saved, they have their fire insurance, and they think they're okay. They might not read their Bibles, they might not attend church, they might not tell people about Jesus, they might not spend time in prayer, they might not give money to missions or try to help anybody, they might not be actively living the Christian life, and it really doesn't bother them. This message is not for those people. And if you're here, hopefully that's nobody in here, but if you're here and you think everything's good and you're not struggling, then this message isn't for you. This message is a message of hope and restoration because I am telling you, the Christian life sometimes is like this. And a lot of times there's a lot of downs. And if you really see yourself in light of the Bible you're going to put that mirror on you and you're going to see a lot of blemishes. That's why people don't read the Bible. It hurts too bad. You open that thing up and you realize, you know what? I just don't have some mistakes. I've got some sin problem. I have offended God. I'm in trouble. But some people that don't even bother. Sin doesn't even bother them. And that's a, a thing we're seeing in our generation, but it's not just in the generation that we're seeing outside of the church. It's Christians sitting on the church pew where sin doesn't even bother them. 
But if, so if that's you, then this isn't going to help you at all. But if sin does bother you, and it bothers you that you're not where you need to be, we have a great message of hope in the story of John Mark. And that is that though you've fallen, He can pick you back up. And there is restoration, and your fellowship can be where it should be with Jesus Christ. Let's be introduced to the man John Mark. Come to Acts chapter number 12, and come down, if you will, to verse number 12. Now, what had been happening here, Peter had been locked up in jail, and all the church got together to pray for Peter's release. Notice where they are in Acts chapter number 12. And when he had considered the thing, he came to the house of Mary, the mother of John, whose surname was Mark, where many were gathered together praying. This is where we first read of John Mark. So obviously his mother must have been a godly woman. She was a spiritual woman. She opened her house to the disciples. She was part of the early church. Surely he had some influence from his mother. We don't know anything about his father. He's not mentioned in the Bible. But his mother must have been a good influence. But we also have another man who is the man of the story, which is Peter. And we know from 1 Peter chapter number 5, Peter himself refers to Mark as his son. Now when the Bible uses that, Paul uses it as well with Timothy. And Paul never was married, so we know Timothy wasn't his physical son. That's a term of endearment. Timothy said, Paul, uh, Paul said to Timothy, you're my son in the faith. So Peter considered Marcus his son in the faith. So evidently, not only did Mark have an influence from his mother, but he had a spiritual father in the apostle Peter. Peter led him to the Lord. And so he had some good influence as a young man. No doubt here in the text we see many are gathered together. I'm sure the other disciples are there. Can you imagine what it would be like to be a young man and get to hang around somebody like Peter and James and John? Of course, James gets killed, the brother of John, in the early part of the book of Acts chapter 12. But you have the other James there, James the Less. You have Matthew, you have Bartholomew, you have Thomas. You have all those other disciples there. Couldn't you just in your mind's eye imagine what it would be like for John Mark to grow up in a household and to be influenced by those guys? To have Peter for a spiritual father? Well, things, as we see early on, he's influenced by these disciples. If you keep reading in chapter number 12, come all the way down, if you will, to the end of the chapter. Look in verse 25. Notice what happens here. They're in Jerusalem, obviously. And Barnabas and Saul, Barnabas was Saul's right-hand man. Those two went on missionary journeys. Notice it says, Barnabas and Saul returned from Jerusalem when they had fulfilled their ministry and took with them John, whose surname was Mark. Look in chapter number 13, the first part of the chapter, you read about the church getting, to, getting together, and they lay hands on these men and send them off. This is the first missionary journey. And the church sends off these guys to go preach, and they endorse them, they send them off from Antioch. Notice, if you will, in verse number 5, and when they were at Salamis, they preached the word of God in the synagogues of the Jews, and they had also John to their minister. So we have his conversion. He's under the Apostle Paul. We have his, I mean, under the uh, Apostle Peter, he's converted. We have his, his calling. He's under the Apostle Paul. Man, what a great start. Can you imagine you've got Peter and you've got Paul? He has a great beginning. The first missionary journey, here he is with Barnabas and Paul. But let's look at his collapse. In chapter number 13, they begin to preach. Look in verse number 6. And when they had gone through the isle 
unto Paphos, they found a certain sorcerer, a false prophet, a Jew, whose name was Bar-Jesus, which was with the deputy of the country, Sergius Paulus, a prudent man, who called for Barnabas and Saul and desired to hear the word of God. But Elymas, the sorcerer, for so is his name by interpretation, withstood them, seeking to turn away the deputy from the faith. Then Saul, who also is called Paul, filled with the Holy Ghost, set his eyes on him and said, O full of all subtlety and all mischief, thou child of the devil, thou enemy of all righteousness, wilt thou not cease to pervert the right ways of the Lord? And now, behold, the hand of the Lord is upon thee, and thou shalt be blind, not seeing the sun for a season. And immediately there fell on him a mist and a darkness, and he went about seeking some to lead him by the hand. Then the deputy, when he saw what was done, believed, being astonished at the doctrine of the Lord. Now when Paul and his company loosed from Paphos, they came to Perga in Pamphylia. Look at this now. And John, departing from them, Return to Jerusalem. Now maybe verse number 4, we back up and we see that they're traveling by boat. You know, maybe there's rough seas. That's the physical aspect of it. I'm sure John signed up for this deal. He didn't know what was going on. He probably wasn't aware that there was going to be some perils of the sea, some perils among countrymen. There was going to be all this trouble. And here he is with Barnabas and Paul, and he's thinking, okay, surely we're going to stop at the motel, and we're going to stop at the restaurant, and we're going to have all, this, all these amenities. I don't think there's a lot of amenities on that first missionary journey. Yeah. Pretty rough. Maybe the physical aspect of it is what knocked him out. And by the way, there is a physical aspect of it. You know, you have to deny yourself some things in this Christian life. You want to serve Jesus Christ? There's some things that are off limits. You have to simply say no to. And it's not supposed to be easy. The flesh craves sin. The flesh craves comfort. Maybe it was the rough seas, the physical stress of it. Or maybe verses 6 to 8, it's the rebellious spirits. There's a spiritual element to this. There's a pressure that's beyond just the physical. And here you are, you're sitting in there and you're listening and hopefully you're taking something in from the Bible and we can get a message from the Lord, but there is a spiritual element. You're not just listening to, you're not being entertained. I might say something funny every now and again. I have a wonderful sense of humor. <laughs> Y'all are laughing because you know I can't tell a joke. You might get entertained and I'll try to say some things funny. I'll try to bring it up high and then bring it down low so we can pay attention better because I know sometimes your eyes get droopy. But there's a spiritual side to this. If you're really interested and you're really seeking after God, there's a spiritual element of pressure. And here they are, they're trying to do something for God and this one guy, this deputy, he's excited, he's listening to Paul. And this sorcerer fellow withstands him and he's trying to prevent this guy from getting saved. And John's in the middle of this thing. He's thinking, oh, I didn't think it was going to be like this. I thought you tell people that you love Jesus Christ and you tell people you want them to go to heaven that they're going to be so happy. I didn't know they were going to cuss me out. Yeah. We go and hold signs. And by the way, this Saturday we'll have public ministry around the courthouse. 10.30 up here at the church. 
you think everybody gives you the thumbs up, and we do get a lot of positive response. There are some people that appreciate to see some scripture signs. There are some people, and we're not holding up political signs, we're holding up Bible verses. Amen. That's what people need. They need the Bible. There's something in that Bible. And when I say Bible, you know what I'm talking about. I'm talking about the King James Bible. There's something in that book that can change people. That's why we hold up Bible verses. And there's a lot of people that appreciate that. They like that. But we do get some hecklers. I call them Hawaiian good luck signs. There's a whole other story behind why it's called that. But it's the middle finger. You know what that is. But you get that from time to time. And here you are, maybe you're at work or maybe you're around family and you want to tell somebody and you say, hey, I want to talk to you. You know, you know if you were to die today, where would you go? Well, how dare you condemn me? Yeah. All I ask you is if you were to die today, would you go to heaven? Well, what do you mean? You're saying I'm going to hell? Well, if you're not going to heaven, that's where you're going. And they get so offended, so touchy. You say, why? Because there's a spiritual tug of war going. If you're not saved, the devil wants to take your soul to hell. And he'll use all kinds of things. You say, well, they're just being mean. They're just being rude. They're just being crude. No, they care about you and they love you. That's why they're telling you about Jesus. You don't have to go to hell. You can go to heaven. You don't have to carry the load and the burden of unforgiven sin. Your sins can be washed away as white as snow. But you've got to admit that you're a sinner. People don't want to do that. They want to walk around in pride. No, you need to fall on your knees and say, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. But John, maybe it's the spiritual pressure, man. He's like, whoa. All the, and then all of a sudden, Paul, he had the apostolic sign gifts, man. He's able to blind that guy and do all this kind of stuff. You see this stuff taking place. And I don't know, John, for whatever reason, quits. He departs. You read it. And he leaves. I read about a dam that broke in Missouri. It was in southern Missouri. No, it was southeast Missouri. It was on the Salk Lake, and it collapsed. And they began to try to figure out after this happened, you know, all the, the causes and the reasons and where the breach occurred and all those kind of things. And they found that the automated system had pumped too much water into the reservoir, and the dam, the material that was the dam was constructed of was not made to withstand the pressure with all of that added water. And they examined that material and they found that. And so John gets to a place somewhere, whether it's physical, whether it's spiritual, whether it's a combination of both, he can't take it, so he quits. He collapses. And I'm sure there's many Christians, maybe even many of us here today, that have gone through that very same thing. You just throw up your hands. You just quit. You try to do right. You try to follow the Lord. You're trying to stay away from sin. And the next thing you know, you give in to it. Can I get an amen on that one? You say, what is it? It's called backsliding. It's called giving in to sin. It's called giving in to the flesh. And you might do good for a while, and then you fall and you fail. So what do you do then? Well, we read Psalm 37. You get up. 1 John chapter number 1, if we confess our sins, He's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. He'll forgive you. He'll help you to get back up. Mark, he collapsed. He quit. 
And sometimes I think a lot of Christians, they fail. And it's kind of like, I remember as a kid, I was real sick. I can't remember what grade it was. And I almost was out for so long that I failed the grade. And they were sending homework, and I was doing you know, work from home and stuff like that. But I almost missed too many days. They have a list. You miss so many days, it doesn't matter how good your grades are, they flunk you. I was one day shy of that. And uh, I remember having to go back to school when I did get better and went back to school. It's an awkward feeling. Do you remember that as a kid, some of you? Or maybe if you've been out of work for a week or two, you take a vacation, or you go to a national park. <laughs> what am I going to do, man? I'm going to come back and be like, whoa. But you're like, oh, this is weird, you know, and you come back to school and you, it's just hard to get back in the motion. You know, that happens a lot of times in the Christian life. You hadn't been in your Bible in a while. You used to read it every day. It's hard to cry. Where am I going to start? Well, start in Genesis. Amen. Start in Matthew. Start in John. Start somewhere. Just start. Yeah. Well, I've got to read all this. I've got to do all this catch-up. Don't worry about doing all the catch-up. Just read some today and get in His Word today. Pray today. You already started the week off, right? You're in church today. We see His collapse, but go over to chapter number 15. Let's look at His comeback. And hopefully we can learn a few things about Mark. Look in chapter number 15. Now this is the second missionary journey. And Paul and Barnabas, they had a thing going there at Antioch. They had it set up where they were preaching and doing a lot of teaching and uh, Paul gets the idea that we need to go out and do another journey and go visit some of these other churches. Look in verse number 36. Some days after, Paul said unto Barnabas, Let us go again and visit our brethren in every city where we have preached the word of the Lord and see how they do. Verse 37, And Barnabas determined to take with them John, whose surname was Mark. But Paul thought not good to take with him, to take him with them who departed from from them from Pamphylia and went not with them to the work. And the contention was so sharp between them that they departed asunder one from the other. And so Barnabas took Mark and sailed unto Cyprus, and Paul chose Silas and departed, being recommended by the brethren unto the grace of God. And he went through Syria and Cilicia, confirming the churches. This is six years later from Acts 13. Six years. Paul says, look, Barney... We need to go and visit these churches. We need to check on them. We'll take another journey. And Barnabas says, that's a great idea. Let's take Mark with us. It's been six years. He's been faithful. He hadn't missed the church service. He's in his Bible. He's been living for God. He's been a good witness. Let's take him. He'll be a good missionary. Paul's like, he can't hack it. He bailed out the last time. What makes you think he's not going to bail out this time? Forget it. Barnabas is like, no, no, brother, you should be forgiving. We should have the love of Jesus and give people a second chance. And Paul's like, I ain't got time to give somebody a second chance. And Paul is steadfastly set that he's not going to take Mark. And Barnabas is steadfastly set that he's going to give him a second chance. So you have the first church split in the Bible. You have the first Baptist church and the second Baptist church. <laughs> By the way, we originally were called Second Baptist Church before it was known as Calvary Baptist Church. But when you think about this, you begin to say, what is God doing behind the scenes? And what kind of repercussions is this going to have with Mark? 
Can you imagine if somebody came to church and they hadn't been in a long time and they came to the door and they said, hey, how you doing? You say, well, you hadn't been in a while, so I figured you didn't want to come back. Just stay out. What kind of a greeting would that be? Can you imagine if you were a young Christian trying to do right and you wanted to, to do something for the Lord and somebody just basically held up a stop sign in front of your face? You would think this would be detrimental to John Mark. I want to say that he had Barnabas here. Now, who is Barnabas? Barnabas, the actual word means son of consolation. Barnabas was an encourager. He was an exhorter. He was somebody, I think, that had an optimistic personality. By the way, you need positive and you need negative. Amen. That's why everybody's not the same. You just don't need optimism all the time. Because I'm telling you, this world is headed to hell in a handbasket. I'm telling you, things are not getting better, they're getting worse. I'm telling you, the churches are not getting better, they're getting worse. Christians are not getting better, they're getting worse. Things don't wind up, they wind down. Your car runs out, it tears up, it's a piece of junk anyway, amen. As soon as you drive it off the lot, it's not worth 15 cents. Amen and amen. The older you get, the healthier you get. And the less prone to disease you are. Of course, that's a lie. Kids, young people, enjoy youth and vitality while you have it. Bend down on your knees while you can. You remember being a kid and you just jump up and land on your knees? As a kid, I mean, can you imagine doing that now? You'd land on your knees and you wouldn't get up. Things don't get better, they get worse. And so, here we have Barnabas who's optimistic, and that's great, but you have to be a realist. And we got Paul, he's the ultimate pessimist, so he's almost not willing to give Mark a chance. So there's got to be a balance, and I think these two balance out, but thank God for people like Barnabas. He's been watching him the past six years, and here's where it really comes to fruition. We know from... Let me see if I can give you the verse. Colossians 4, verse number 10, that Barnabas is actually, here's why Barnabas is the way he is. He's actually Mark's uncle. That's why he gives him a second chance. There are some of you in here, there are people in your family that you see them occasionally, maybe at family reunions, maybe at grandma's house or whatever, or maybe you even still get up with them sometimes and talk to them on the phone and so forth. And pretty much that's the only reason you keep up with them. Because the way they live and their lifestyle and who they hang around and how they are, if they were somebody else, you wouldn't have them over at your house. I'm glad I got a couple people that recognize that's the truth. Blood's thicker than water. Barnabas has a connection to him. He has made a choice, and I've preached this Mother's Day several times, just like mothers do. Mothers make a choice to love, regardless if their kid's a knucklehead. You have those murder trials, and there's this guy that's killed all these people, and he's sitting up there, and nobody's on his side except his mama. She's sitting in there. Why? Because she's chosen to love that boy as wicked as he is, no matter what. Barnabas chose to love Mark no matter what. So there's a connection there. But thank God for the Barnabases. And I think we can learn something with that. And he was in family in the family, so he kept up with Mark, and he knew how he was doing. And, and here's what helped Mark. Mark had a connection 
to where he knew that he could be restored because of Barnabas. And I think that's very important. I think that, obviously, you think the story of the prodigal son. The father had made some rules. And that prodigal knew he couldn't get away with the devilment that he wanted to do if he stayed at home. That's how it ought to be. You're living under my roof? This is what you're going to do. I don't care how old you are. I'm not just renting a room to a stranger. We have a relationship. If you don't want a relationship, there's the door. The prodigal knew he couldn't do the sin that he wanted to do in the father's house, so that's why he left. However, he always knew something inside of him told him, if I just could go back and I would humble myself and I would submit to the father, he would take me back. And I think that's so very important. And I think a lot of times the church gets a bad rap. And here's where I see it getting a bad rap. Because I know there are a lot of Christians that are very forgiving. There are a lot of Christians that if someone really wants to do right, would be the first to help them. And you hear all these people bad-mouthing the church. I'm getting sick and tired of people bad-mouthing the church. And what they want to do, they want to run it down just because of some experience. And they base their experience a lot of times on when they were a teenager. Nothing against you young people in here, but let me go ahead and tell you, until you hit about 22, this is science. You do not have all of your brain cells. That's a fact. Your cognitive abilities are not where they need to be until you get in your early 20s. So you're looking at things from a very short span. You say, all these people are telling me all this stuff. They're not any better than you. They're just older. They've been down the road a little longer and they're saying, hey, I hit a pothole here and I hit a pothole here. We were driving our little truck over here and we were all going off into a big mug bog and you're driving that little car, you better not come this way. Well, how dare you tell me I shouldn't come that way with my little car? I'm just telling you, you're going to run into a big hole. And they get their little perception and that's churches. They're just judgmental, they're judgmental, they're judgmental. No, they're just telling you because they want to help you and they will be the first if you came and you were humble and you wanted help, they'd say, hey, let me help you. That's how Barnabas is. And Mark had that connection, and it helped him. It helped him. The Bible says in the book of Galatians, ye that are spiritual, restore such a one in the spirit of meekness, considering thyself, lest thou also be tempted. We need to have that attitude. That attitude is, I'm going to choose to love people who mess up if they want to get right. Now, if they don't want to get right... There's just certain things we can't do. There's just certain boundaries we can't cross. But if you want to get right and you want to get back in the race and back in the fight, there is hope of restoration. And Mark knew that because of Uncle Barnabas. On the plains of western Canada, there was a wheat harvest and a little three-year-old girl wandered off during the wheat harvest and she got lost. And so the sun was beginning to set and they, all the people in the community, they got out in the fields and they began to search for this little girl trying to find her. And of course, up in western Canada, it gets very, very cold, so they knew the dangers and so forth. Well, night fell and the chill began to come on and it got colder and colder and they said, look, we're not doing any good. Let's get everybody together and let's all join hands all across these fields and we'll form teams and just have these combs. We'll all join hands and we'll comb the fields. And they found her, but it was too late. 
She had already succumbed to hypothermia and, and she died. And a man made this comment. He said, you know, if we'd have joined hands sooner, we might would have found her. You know, sometimes you think about it, you think about the disconnect, just not willing to reach out that hand to help. He had help, but he also had a heart. I want you to look at this contrast. Go to 2 Timothy chapter 4. This is very important. This is really the, the part that we see on Mark's side. Now, thank God we have people like Barnabas. But you've got to see it from Mark's perspective. Maybe you're a Barnabas and you can encourage somebody. You've got to know your limits. You've got to know your boundaries. There's been many a family member that have allowed all kind of disruption into their own home because they've let the boundaries down when they shouldn't have let the boundaries down. Amen. If we get some of these grandmas in our community to kick their dopehead kids out of their house, we might not have the problems we have. Amen and amen and amen and amen. A lot of grandparents have grandparents' disease and they allowed a bunch of foolishness to go on and they're trying to raise these kids and you know how all that kind of stuff goes. However, let me say this. Not just Barnabas, he had to have his job. What about Mark's perspective? He's trying to do right. He's wanting to do right. Here is Paul the Apostle. The Apostle of the Gentiles. He said in 2 Corinthians, Be fathers of me as I also am of Christ. All church-age doctrine comes from Paul's epistles. You don't go get church-age doctrine from Matthew and from Acts and from Hebrews and some of those tribulation epistles, James. You go to the prison epistles, you go to Romans, you go to Galatians. That's where you get the bulk of church-age doctrine. Paul is our guy. Can you imagine how people thought of Paul? This is the guy the Lord has tagged. You're it. We read the early part of Acts, and Peter's a great apostle. Peter led Mark to the Lord. And yeah, Peter's great, but we see a transfer of the first ten chapters as Peter, and that thing shifts over to Paul. Can you imagine young Mark wanting to serve God? Barnabas already kind of tells him, hey man, we'll go talk to Paul, but it's a shoe in. I, can, I, I know Paul. I'm, I helped Paul. Paul got saved. Nobody wanted to listen to him. I put my arms around him, brought him into the church. He'll listen to me, Mark. Go ahead and pack your bags. Get ready for the trip. Tell everybody goodbye. It's, 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 we're good to go. And then Mark's got his hopes up, and here he goes, and here's Paul that everybody lifts up. And by the way, Paul made some mistakes. He was not sinless. God told him not to go to Jerusalem four times or five times, and he went anyway. Paul's not sinless. But boy, I guarantee you, a lot of people thought a lot about Paul. And here's young, impressionable Mark, and there's Paul acting the way he's acting, saying, nope, get out of here. Don't let the door hit you on the way out. Can you imagine how that must have hit him? I would hate to know that my attitude caused a Christian that was trying to get things right with God to go back out into the world. Brother Peacock made a, uh, a statement when he was talking about the prodigal son I had never really thought about. And maybe you have. I mean, I've preached it. I've got about 15 messages on the prodigal son. He made that statement when the prodigal was coming back. When he was getting closer to the house, you know how the father ran out to meet him? He made the statement, one of the reasons he ran out to meet him is so he wouldn't turn around. 
Because the closer you get to coming back, it's kind of like going back to school. You know, you start getting nervous and nervous. Oh, oh man, I ain't been in weeks and weeks, and everybody's going to look at me funny, and they're going to ask me why I was sick, and I can't tell them all the things. Uh, you know, and you get all these nerves, and i got to take a test, and I got, and you start, and you, and you get there, and here's somebody coming back to church. I ain't been to church in years and years, and, and here they're going to ask me this. Where you been? Why ain't you been in church? You didn't even come to the revival. We had four days of revival. That's not going to help anybody. And the elder brother is just waiting to pounce on him. And so the father ran out there and put his arms around him and brought him in. Can you imagine somebody like Paul making those statements around Mark, how that could have been detrimental? You better pray about things and how you treat people and use some discernment. But here's the thing I want you to see in 2 Timothy chapter 4. This is Paul's last epistle before he dies. And he makes comment about some people here in 2 Timothy chapter number 4. Come down, if you will, to verse number 10. He tells Timothy in verse 9, Do thy diligence to come shortly unto me. Talking to Timothy there. Verse 10, he says, For Demas hath forsaken me, having loved this present world, and is departed unto Thessalonica. Cretans to Galatia, Titus unto Dalmatia. Only Luke is with me. Look at this. Take Mark and bring him with thee, for he is profitable to me for the ministry. Here's a comparison between Demas and Mark. Mark, he said he's profitable. Demas, he says, has forsaken me. But notice what he said about Demas. Why did he forsake him? Because he loved this present world. Here I think is the comparison. Mark loved Jesus Christ, not this world. The reason it was so easy for Demas to get out and stay out is because of his heart. Mark had help, but Mark had a heart for God. He had Barnabas, thank God for that, but he loved the Lord. Paul showing out and doing his little deal wasn't going to shake him. And to me, that's just an excuse. All these things say, well, I was in a church one time and a preacher was mean to me and a Sunday school teacher was mean to me and so and so did this and I know this. Go tell somebody else that. That's not the problem. The problem is you don't love Jesus Christ and you're using that as an excuse to stay out of church. You're using that as an excuse not to be in your Bible. You're using that as an excuse not to fight against sin. You're using that as an excuse not to live for Jesus. If your heart is right, that stuff's not going to get in the way. It could, potentially. Demas loved this world. And I'm telling you, sometimes we preach hard on the world and this world system. I'm telling you, any, 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 uh, a dead fish can float downstream. And some of you Christians, this world has got its claws in you, whether it be because of your career and your job and your work and your family. Whatever the reason is, you are sold out to this world. You are driven by this world. And that's the problem. And when somebody doesn't pick you up and pat you and chase you down and stay on you and nudge you and, and pump you up and call you and coddle you all the time, you're not going to serve Jesus. Well, the problem's a heart problem. 
So, well, preacher, maybe our church would bust at the seams and every pew would be filled if we just have more programs. If we could just have a women's class on Tuesday night or maybe a financial study class to help us with our finances on Thursday or maybe a singles class on Saturday afternoons. I was about to cuss, but I better stop. To Hades with that kind of stuff. What you need is Bible preaching. Hey, we have some things. We have Sunday school. We have some activities for the youth. But we always have Bible preaching. We have teaching. I mean, you can go to a gym out there. You can get a cup of coffee down the road. What makes the church authentic? And what makes and by the way, you don't need a screen either. You got screens at home, you got a screen in your pocket. You don't need a screen up here. You can open a hymn book. Amen. 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 And I did hear, by the way, they are going to reprint that hymn book. So praise praise the Lord for that. That hymn book was going out of print. But there's enough churches that still use hymn books, by the way. We're not the only one. I like to hear those pages turn. Well, I'm just going to bring my phone and use my, bi- my phone on my Bible. I know some of you have eye trouble. You have to use that kind of stuff. So don't look at those people weird. They actually have a legitimate excuse. But those of you that don't, you need to put the screens up and get a book out. There's a relationship that's built when there's a physical touch to physical pages with words that come off of this page. Not electronic words. I don't know where all that came from. But I got it out of my system. Got it out of my system. I had to get it out of the system. <laughs> the idea behind Mark and Demas being contrasted is that Mark, he was just too close to the world. It's kind of like Eutychus in Acts chapter, uh, what is it, 20. Paul was long preaching and Eutychus is up in the loft and he fell out of the roof. He fell asleep. And he fell backwards and he fell out. And like one of the old preachers said, the reason he fell out is he had more hanging out than he had hanging in. <laughs> and that's how it is a lot of people in the world. They got more out in the world than they do in their spiritual life. So they have more in common with the things of the world than they do with the things of God. Mark loved Jesus Christ. Now, there's some problems in coming back. There's conflict, and here he is. He might have said when Barnabas and Paul are going at it, hey guys, hey fellas, uh, I'll go back home. There's no big deal. I can be a deacon in the church. I can serve in the church. I'll just go back and work. Y'all y'all go on your journey. Don't let me. He might have saw himself as, as the cause of this, which really he was. There's conflict and there's criticism from others and to others. I want to point this out. I've just got to say this because it's kind of inadvertently in the text. Barnabas and Paul, they split. Barnabas goes with Mark and they do some work. God's hand is on Paul. He's already tagged him. He is the guy. The rest of the book of Acts follows Paul. We don't know nothing else about Barnabas really. A couple of little things here and there. Both of those guys are serving the Lord. And in Colossians chapter number 4, I read you the verse earlier about Barnabas being his uncle, but it's actually Paul the Apostle saying this. He says, Aristarchus, my fellow prisoner, saluteth you, and Marcus, sister's son, to Barnabas. 
And then in Philemon chapter, or one chapter, verse number 24, he mentions Marcus, and Philemon was Paul's first imprisonment. He calls him, in Philemon verse number 24, fellow laborers. Here's what I believe really happened in that first imprisonment. Mark is already in the ministry there, and he has come and he's ministered to Paul. Mark and Paul have already got things tidied up there in that first imprisonment. So you've got several more years that go by before Paul's arrested again, and you read 2 Timothy about, bring Mark, he's profitable to me for the ministry. But here's where I'm going with that thing about the conflict. I don't think for a minute Barnabas was running Paul down all the time. Amen and amen. He's doing something for God. I believe... Why in the world would Mark minister to Paul in that first imprisonment? Philemon verse number 24. I believe even though they had their differences, Barnabas probably said, look, Brother Paul, you know, he's just zealous, he's fervent, you know, he's, he's, he's dramatic, you know, and, and there must be a reason. Let's just see if the Lord's got a plan. Maybe the Lord's got a plan for this split and he's going to use this for his glory. I think that's Mr. Optimistic Barnabas. And he didn't run Paul down and he didn't create some kind of schism between Paul and Barnabas. Amen. Look, I'm telling you, there are people that don't line up just like you line up with, and God is using them. And God is blessing them. You better get off of that. You are not the fourth member of the Trinity. (laughs) God can use somebody other than you and somebody might not agree with every little thing you have, cross every little T, dot every little I, just like you. God's using them, God's blessing them, just leave it alone, do your thing. Now Paul makes this statement in 2 Timothy chapter 4, and I'm done. 22 years after Mark originally defected. Man, that brings hope, man. You're struggling through some things and you're thinking, man, I'm never going to whip this, I'm never going to get the victory over this. Maybe this is just a little message to tell you, you know what, there's hope. You don't have to quit. You don't have to stop. You can get right back in. You can go forward. 22 years later, after he originally defected, 2 Timothy chapter 4 is penned, and he makes that statement. Maybe some of you, you're looking for a breakthrough. Kind of like, you know, summertime, we have have flies that get in sometime in the house. You know, you ever see a fly, they get in a house, and you can, have the, you can have the back door open. That's where they came in. It can be wide open, no screen, nothing. And then here's a window pane, and there they are. And the harder they work, the closer to death they get. All they have to do is turn around and go through the door. And that's a great picture of a lot of Christians. The harder you work at it, the worse it's going to get. You need to confess it to the Lord. He that confesseth and forsaketh his sins. I mean, you just confess it, get up, and go on. Go through the open door. He says, Behold, to that church in the book of Revelation, I set before thee an open door. The Lord opens the door and says, Here's a great story of restoration. You've been struggling, and you know what you need to do. Here's John Mark. He collapsed, but he came back. It's to be a good day to have a comeback. Amen?
Let's bow our heads for invitation. Our pianist is going to come.